Hello, listeners. Matt here. Hey, are you Pottern Family? Go on Twitter and search the hashtag Pottern Family or follow at Pottern Family to find a bevy of great podcasts, including this one. That's hashtag Pottern Family or at Pottern Family on Twitter. By the way, spoiler alert, this podcast will be talking about the most recent episode of the show that it covers. So if you're not caught up, come back when you are if you don't want to be spoiled. Don't worry, we'll be here waiting. Part of the Rewatching Good Television Podcast Network, it's the Sorkin Cast. Here's your host, Matthew Murdick. And welcome to the Sorkin Cast. It's episode 48 of the podcast. This week we'll be covering season 2, episode 21 of The West Wing, 18th and Potomac. And joining me once again, it's great to have back to talk uh, through some of all of this downer stuff. (laughs) I know it's not your favorite thing to do, John, but welcome back. Oh, I love talking with you, Matt. The subject matter is always subject to change, correct? <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, John, we're only two weeks away from our uh, deadline for our feedback podcast. That's July 12th. You have until then to submit any feedback regarding Season 2 of West Wing. So be sure to do that. How do you do that, you might ask? Well, you send an email to SaveTheCityPodcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet at SorkinCast, or you can call 314-669-1840 and leave a voicemail. You can find all of that information as well as back episodes of the podcast and podcatcher links at SorkinCast.wordpress.com. And if you follow one of those podcatcher links, please take the time to leave me a written review on one of those or whatever podcatcher app that you use because it helps me stay more noticeable among, you know, the 33 billion West Wing podcasts that have come up and come out in the last uh, six months or so. And uh, it really helps me to, to stay noticeable so that we can grow our community even more. Plus, it helps me realize what you like and dislike about how I do things. And I can do my best to try and accommodate some of those changes if I get a lot of the same suggestions or um, just however you're feeling. Let me know about all of that. You can also use any of that contact information to send me your nominations for the favorite and least favorite episode of West Wing Season 2 or the favorite and least favorite scene, the favorite and least favorite main character, and the favorite and least favorite guest star. We'll include those in our feedback podcast as well. And, of course, the deadline for that is July 12th. So get all of that to me as soon as possible. John, last episode we were talking about how much of a downer that episode was and how much it was coming down on us. And uh, it feels like just yesterday that we were talking about that, even though it's been a week. Um, have you thought any more about the last episode we saw in relation to some of these episodes that we'll be talking about the next couple? I can't wait to talk about this episode because it's all nothing but rainbows and puppy dogs and sunshine, right? And unicorns. You forgot unicorns. Oh, yeah, and the unicorns. And my <laughs> little pony. <laughs> well, uh, let's get uh, some of the most benign information (laughs) out about this particular episode first. Again, it's West Wing Season 2, Episode 21, 18th and Potomac. 
It was, it was a story by Lawrence O'Donnell and a teleplay by Aaron Sorkin. It was directed by Robert Berlinger. The episode first aired on May 9th, 2001, and was viewed by an estimated 17 million viewers. Geos.tv, the global episode opinion survey, ranks this episode 17th out of 158 episodes. It's funny to see how these downer episodes are getting ranked so high. <laughs> I was just going to say 17th out of all of them. Yeah. Because I um, just watched this episode literally minutes ago, finished it up, and I was like, this is not one of my favorites at all. <laughs> this is so down. Yes, it is very, very, very down. Uh, it is a powerful episode. I mean, if you're looking yeah. at, if you're grading it strictly on that, I suppose, then that would make it a more favorite. But um, it's not exactly one that I would want to seek out and rewatch all of the time either. So, you know, it's, I, I like to feel happy every once in a while. Yeah. It, the only, I guess, uh, touching point was i kept feeling important because they kept saying sagittarius which is my sign ah right on well they were calling you out saying we're making you down there brother we're making you down uh as this episode summary would indicate as the senior staff gets joey's discouraging poll and prepares for going public about the president josh must also deal with the tobacco investigation while the president must deal with hostilities in port-au-prince Meanwhile, Dolores Lanningham purchases a new car, but the end result is tragic. Oh, it's so sad. I even have to put that in the episode summary. Um, but just based on that, um, you're probably thinking, why do you even want to listen to this podcast? You know what happens at the end. And because of that, all, all of this kind of quick jabbing and, and walking and talking gives a way to, to feature our beloved Dolores Lanningham. I just had to use all of these clips to uh, do all Dolores all the time for this uh, opening segment because we want to remember her fondly. And here's all of that stuff. Getting eight speaker stereo? No. Six speakers? No. How many speakers? I have two ears. How many speakers do I need? At least six in a subwoofer. I'm not getting a subwoofer. How about the tote package? The tow package? To tow your boat? I don't have a boat. What about a camper? No. What do you tow? Groceries. You could probably put those in the trunk. Yeah. Tinted windows. Hey. Hello, Josh. Miss Landing has picking up a new car today. Really? Yes, and I wish I hadn't told anyone. Why do men think women can't buy a car without a man? It's an old stereotype, Mrs. Elm. Did you get the extended service warning? No. Women. What do you want? I got a message. Leo wanted to see me. He's in his office. Did you get the tow package? See? He's in his office. You want to know where you made your mistake? I didn't make a mistake. You probably did, and here's where you went wrong. Where? You went to the dealership alone. Yes. That was a mistake. Because the dealer would load me up with a lot of extras I don't need? That's right. Like a, a tow package. How are you going to tow your camper without a tow package? I have never been camping. Neither have I, and I was hoping you'd take me. I'd be sitting there fishing, listening to the oils on a transistor radio. What would I be doing? Warding off bears, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. How much did you pay? We don't talk about money here. Can you tell me how much you paid below sticker? I didn't pay anything below sticker. What do you mean? In my own defense, I didn't pay anything above sticker either. Mrs. Lanningham, seriously. Charlie! No, seriously, pay sticker price? Yes. Why? 
That was the price. Mrs. Lanningham. It says so right on the sticker. Who pays sticker price? I do. You gotta let me go back there with you. I wasn't duped, Charlie. Who pays sticker price? I'm a government employee. That doesn't necessarily mean you're a fool. No, but it means I'm not allowed to accept gifts of a certain value. It's not a gift. Of course it is. The price tag says one thing, and the dealer is giving it to me for something less. That's what happens when you buy a car. Not me. I was looking for Leo. He's in the situation room. That's usually a good sign. Good evening, Mr. President. Bob Cratchit. Oh, sir, surely you have better things to do than annoy me. Never. You bought a new car? Yes, sir. And you paid sticker price. Section 2635. You need to look at the next page, subsection B, paragraph 4, Mammy Yoko. You know, I could beat you up any time I want, sir. Secret Service would have you down like a calf at a rodeo. The definition of gift excludes opportunities and benefits, including favorable rates and commercial discounts available to the public at large. I did look at the next page. And? I work next door to the Oval Office, sir. Caesar's wife must be above reproach. There's a reason you didn't tell me you were getting a new car. You... Did you think I was going to think it was an extravagance? You don't think I think you should have a new car? Dolores, have you ever had a new car? No. No, Henry would go to Calvin Hilly and Concord, and Calvin would give him a good deal on something reliable. How about you let me find out what you were supposed to pay and write you a check for the difference? Oh, no. Thank you, but I'm buying this car myself. This car is going to feel good. Is it a nice one? It's a beauty. It's blue. It has air conditioning. I told him I could just roll down the windows, but it comes with it anyway. Consumer Reports reads it very high. It's very safe. And when you get inside, there's this... Smell? How did you know? It's the smell of freedom and the chemicals they treat the dashboard with. When are you picking it up? Right now. Do me a favor, would you? Come back here after you pick it up. I'd like to talk to you about something. Yes, sir. And put the car in the driveway. I'd like to kick the tires. Why? It's an expression, Fannie Mae. Go get your car. Oh, oh man. I know. Dolores is so beautiful. And I they did a good job of showcasing her in this episode. And, and when I first saw it the very first time, I mean, I didn't see any promos for this. I can only imagine that NBC would do something as silly as, you know, on the next Wex Wing, someone will die. Oh, right? jeez. You know, <laughs> I, I, I can almost see them doing that because that's the way NBC likes to promote their stuff. Um, but... This, you know, I just thought that Dolores was a way to add a little bit of humor to an otherwise already very, very, very dark episode. And I just got gut punched by the end of this episode. Well, did you get the tow package? I didn't get the tow package. See? Um, but thanks out. for trying to make this funny. But I'm just, I'm upset now listening know, to that clip. I know. But it did, the, the request for a subwoofer did harken back to the late 90s for me. I was like, oh my goodness, it takes me back to high school when people still bought those things. Yes, it very much dates <laughs> <laughs> even how we listen to music these days. So, But yeah, no, it's extreme. It's, she's so cute the whole time. It's like her first new car ever. It, it's, it's, it's multiple levels of tragic. Yeah. And one thing that really stuck out to me just about that clip, I'll just briefly address, is, is Bartlett, he never got a chance to tell Dolores about the MS. I'm assuming she didn't know, because so, he says, i got to tell you something when you get back. Um, I wonder if he feels really bad about that or the fact that, you know, the, the fact that he told her to come back, if he feels responsible for the accident in some way. Oh, that, that, uh, that's too much to put on yourself. I, would, I hope not, but you probably will. 
Yeah, that's just the kind of way Bartlett is. Um, although he did have some funny moments with her there. That was great. Uh, Bob Cratchit. <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy how he knew the law better than she did. Uh, well, of course, Bartlett would know the law better than she would because, uh, but actually though, you think about it, she really wasn't that. She just to- chose to disregard that. That's true. She's trying to be above the board here. Yeah. Which, Caesar's wife is above reproach. This is very true. And not much else could be said about other people in this episode. Yeah, I'll say that for sure. The the, the other thing about Dolores that, that I just really love throughout all of those clips is just how matter of fact she is. You know, it's like, well, I, I told him I didn't need air conditioning. I could just roll down the windows, but it comes with it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, in my own defense, I didn't pay above the sticker price either. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I love, I, you know, Charlie was the one who obviously told Bartlett that she had paid the sticker price and whatever. And uh, I, I just love something that wasn't demonstrated all the time, but you just always felt and it was very well exemplified in this particular episode was that because Charlie and Dolores sit in an office uh, right outside the Oval, basically across from each other the whole time, they would be very close, you know. And I can't imagine that Charlie's whole thing, I was hoping you would take me camping. It wasn't just a joke. I think he just really likes Dolores and he was just just saying, you know, this is the way I'm saying that I care about you. Yeah, no, the, the, the relationship is really sweet. I mean, Charlie is, he's always a nice little, uh, he's a breath of fresh air and sometimes a little bit insane show. So, yes. And same with Dolores. So it's just like two of the same. And it's said that we won't see her again. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I guess it's time to get down into the episode here. Um, here we go. Where Joey comes to the white house with polling results the president is briefed on Haiti. Toby, Sam, and CJ discuss strategy for going public. Josh's report on tobacco lights a fire under Leo. And the Haiti situation starts to get complicated. President, you remember Joey Lucas? Yeah. And her interpreter, Kenny? Joey, did you make photocopies of that? No, sir. Good. Let's get started. Mr. President, 1,170 registered voters in Michigan were polled, giving their governor a hypothetical concealed degenerative illness. These are the results. Do you agree that it's okay for the governor to lie about his health? 17% agree, 83% disagree. The largest block of likely voters are women over 55. 78% of those women say they wouldn't vote for a candidate with MS. We just lost Florida. 62% of Democrats aren't going to vote for you. Joey, is there any good news in there at all? No, sir. Where's the president-elect? Sir, we can't find him. I'm sorry? At this moment, we can't find Dessaline. And that's not the most troubling thing? Jake, what the hell do you mean you can't find Dessaline? He never showed up for a 4 p.m. courtesy conference with Gilbert Tass and calls made to the party headquarters and both of his houses went unanswered. Armed Forces Radio says he's fled the country, but the Dominicans say no. What about intelligence? It's not like we can just crawl around. It's chaos down there. Nobody knows anything. Mr. President, any move to evacuate the embassy, even the non-essentials, will be a highly visible signal that the U.S. has no confidence in the Dessaline government. At the moment, there is no Dessaline government. There is no Dessaline. 
and I just got done pulling nine dead bodies out of Colombia. Evacuate the non-essentials. Get some Marines at the embassy, and somebody brief Fitz Wallace. Yes, sir. All right. <clears throat> Thirty minutes. Dateline special. Wednesday night. Night after tomorrow. President and First Lady in the mural room. We'll follow that with a press conference. Why? To control the story as long as possible. Once he gets done with Russet or Diane or Stone Phillips or whoever the hell does this, I'm going to need every reporter in the Western Hemisphere in a room where I can see him. We put a team of medical experts up there. We have 48 hours to find him. Hang on. If we take him from the mural room to a press conference, isn't a smart reporter going to ask, Mr. President, are you planning on seeking re-election? A smart reporter... Sam, Ted Baxter is going to ask, Mr. President, are you planning on seeking re-election? So we're going to need an answer to that, too. This report is staggering. I know. The 61.3 million they've spent on travel expenses is twice as much as we spent on our entire case. Yes. Who oversees the Justice Department budget? The Subcommittee on Commerce, Justice, State, and the Judiciary. Who's the ranking minority member? Ritter. Talk to him and find out what the problem is. Yeah. How's it going downstairs? They'll have an answer on it by the end of the day. It's looking like 30 minutes on Dateline and a press conference. But, Leo, it's also looking like any scenario is going to require a firm position from the president on re-election. Well, we'll have that answer by the end of the day, too. Will we? Yes. Mr. President, if we don't take Dessaline, he'll be convicted in a 20-minute trial in prison for life, or probably executed by the hunter. I'm sorry, sir, but this is an internal affair in Haiti, and the U.S. has no place choosing sides. Of course we're choosing sides. There was a free election. We saw to it there was a free election, and Dessaline won. grant asylum, will officially be in a standoff with Bazan. And the best way for Bazan to elevate his stature in Haiti is to stage a standoff with the U.S. Plus, Bazan can surround the embassy, saying he's searching for a wanted criminal. And obviously, he can take everyone in the embassy hostage. Mr. President... There will never be real elections in Haiti if the military thinks it can simply kill the winner. Also, I'd like to point out, sir, that we encouraged Dessaline to run. In fact, we strongly encouraged it, and now he's in the trunk of a car. The car's at the gate. I got the gate right here. Let him in. Sir. Let him in. Tell him to let him in. Wow. <laughs> as if the president doesn't have as enough on his plate with the whole MS thing and everything. Now he's got this Haiti situation. Just incredible the amount of uh, things that are just piling on top of this guy right now. Yeah, no, it's it, it's got to be so interesting, especially for anyone who's worked a long time in Washington to know all this stuff is going on around them. It's just so intense uh, all the time, and it's... It's just got to weigh so much on everyone's shoulders after a while. It's no wonder presidents age so seemingly so fast. Yeah, they always go out with a lot more gray hair than they go in with. That's for sure. Unless they start that way. And then it's white. (laughs) True. You know, and with all of this going on with Bartlett, I do have to wonder. uh, I don't know how you feel about this, but you think maybe Josh (laughs) might actually welcome this whole thing? justice thing a justice appropriations quest as uh, somewhat of a, a distraction for him i mean this is this this is the kind of thing that he does right i mean we saw with the stackhouse thing he was basically directing how the the conference before the bill went to the floor was going this this is he's the, he's a legislative guy so he's probably thinking oh man i don't have to think about that other stuff for a minute yeah, no, it's probably a very welcome distraction. I know personally, uh, with all this other stuff going on, I would want to get out. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
There is one thing that always bothers me, and I, all network television does this, but the, the name, I know you can't really use like um, the name of another show probably that's on another network, but um, I, I wonder if The West Wing were a movie instead of on NBC, if Dateline would have been what Sorkin would have chosen to say. Huh. I thought they they mentioned Dateline. They did mention Dateline. That's what I'm saying. If Oh, okay. Yeah, if it, if the show wasn't on NBC and it wasn't on any network, if it was a movie instead of uh, on a on a television show, what show would Sorkin have wanted Bartlett to announce on? Huh. That is a good question. I wonder what. Well, if if it was this week, it would have been Mel- Megan Kelly presents. probably not with sorkin but um i i would imagine back then it would have probably been um probably 60 minutes it might have been yeah might have been 60 minutes yeah because i think back uh, i mean not that it's not popular anymore but back then i seem to remember it was just exceedingly popular for like news and interviews very true very true and really, this is all we get a joy too. Uh, this episode was really kind of a shift in how they use their big guest stars. Uh, this is the first time I remember, you know, you got Oliver Platt coming in as Babish only towards the end of the episode. You have Joey here only at the beginning of the episode. I didn't realize that when you have such an ensemble cast that the guest stars have to be ensemble as well. And sometimes their roles are just smaller, but this was the first like extreme example of it to me in the series so far. Yeah, you're right. I mean, typically one of the guest stars is usually like almost like the second fiddle to the ensemble, the the main ensemble. But I I mean, and I guess, yeah, we didn't really touch on the stuff with Joey that much in terms of like, were you surprised at the numbers that they injected into the show? I honestly didn't. The first time I saw it, I honestly didn't know what to expect. Um, now when I watch it, I know it's just Sorkin trying to just make things as bad as humanly possible. Um, but I don't know that I wouldn't have thought the first time I saw this that you know it probably seems about like numbers. Because um, even remember, even late 90s, early 2000s, um, there's the whole Clinton thing that people have talked about and, and everybody still remembers Nixon a lot, you know, and it's like, you know, the whole, I'm not a crook thing. Um, I don't know if that wasn't a, a kind of an, I don't think that was a disproportionate reflection of what Sorkin thought at least the public would react to mm. a cover up. Yeah. Cause I thought, I mean, obviously it might've been done for dramatic effect, but I almost thought it was like a little bit heavy handed. Like I didn't, I thought the numbers would have been a little bit like it would vary a little bit more, but yeah, everything just seems so dire. It's like, basically it's like telling them to pack it up. You're, you can't re you can't run for president for a second term. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Anything else? I think we got it. All right. Well, uh, let's go to clip two where Toby and Sam talk about Hoynes. Josh talks to a subcommittee member about legislation to help the tobacco fight Toby tells Donna about the MS. Nancy McNally keeps tabs on the Haiti situation in the Situation Room. CJ sets up an interview for the reveal. And Josh talks to two Democrats against the tobacco fight. Can Josiah Bartlett function as president? I'm not a medical expert. Right. 
Toby, there is a responsibility and the future and an obligation to the party. And if he is not going to run, then he's got to point to Hoynes and say, this is our guy. What if they ask Hoynes? In the meantime, can Bartlett function as president? He'll say yes. What if he says I'm not a medical expert? We've got two Republicans. They've got two Democrats. They've got two Democrats? Warren and Rossiter. Warren and Rossiter aren't even from the South. They have ideological problems with the case. This is a phenomenally important case. It's historic. It has to be won. And we're fighting it with paper clips and a slingshot. We were wondering when you guys were going to notice. Have a seat. I was told you wanted to see me. Yeah, Donna. Uh, I'm going to tell you something shocking. Except we don't have time to be shocked. So I need you to just hear it and go back to work. Eight years ago, the president was diagnosed with MS. He concealed it during the election, but we're going public Wednesday night with a live network interview and a press conference. This is what Josh is going to be working on 24 hours and he's going to need your help and he's going to need you to know. And so I'm telling you. Yeah. You're the first person on the assistant level to find out. Margaret doesn't know. Bonnie and Ginger don't know. Donna. Mrs. Landingham doesn't know. Is the president in a lot of pain or discomfort right now? No, he's in remission. Okay. Is there anything else? I want to press upon you how important it is that this not be discussed yeah. beyond. The AR-15s aren't the only thing they got. They've got two Bradleys with 120 millimeter cannons and a couple of artillery tubes. What do we have? 37 Marines with M14s and Beretta sidearms. What happens when the first shot is Sally, fired? Sally, get me hooked up to operations. Yes, ma'am. Embassy Marines aren't lawn jockeys. They're not decorative. They're trained and restrained, and they're trained well. Operations, ma'am. Thank you. Nancy, if they take the embassy, are we going to know? They're going to send some kind of note? Sydney, I need ComCon status. This is a few minutes old. Yes, ma'am. There's no note, Leo. They're taking the embassy. So what am I supposed to tell my news director? That we need 30 minutes Wednesday night. On Wednesday morning, I'll tell you why. You pick the interviewer. They'll have 10 hours to prepare. Just the president? The president and first lady. On our set? In this room. So we just get the interviewer and the network logo? No network logo. CJ. Oh, I've got to get two other networks and CNN to pick this up live. Bad enough it's going to be your guy and not theirs, but they'll run an old petticoat junction before they put your network brand on their air. Between friends? Yeah. Is the water over your head? No. The water's exactly at my head. No, no. We grow no tobacco in my state, and uh, I'd have to check, but I don't think I've taken contributions. However, we are both former U.S. attorneys, and it's the suit itself we find troubling. The suit alleges that the tobacco companies have been engaged in a broad conspiracy of lies since the 1950s. Yes. How exactly are the Justice Department litigators going to demonstrate that? Well, every Surgeon General since 1964 has warned the public about smoking, and since 1966, through congressional mandate, a pack of cigarettes has had to carry a warning label. Your administration wants to prosecute a suit they know is hopeless so they can score points at the expense of an industry that funds your opponents. It's politically correct extortion, and that's why it's unlikely the appropriations bill will make it out of the subcommittee. And very much, unfortunately, that's where my internet connection died uh, for that night. And I couldn't get back in touch with John to be able to finish the recording. So you're going to have to just listen to me from here on out in regards to this particular uh, episode. First of all, Donna. I mean, what 
a trooper. She took it so well, the news and everything, and she went straight back to work in a hurry so that she could help Josh. But it's something that's similar to what Joey did um, and something that Bartlett would really truly appreciate is that just like Joey, she asked if he was okay. It was the only question that she actually had was if he was okay. And the news coming from the guy who got shouted down for not asking is kind of a great irony. And Toby seeing Donna's response is probably a little reflective on how he handled the news himself because of how well she takes it. And he, I think he really starts contemplating on that a little bit when he talks to Josh later. And this is the part in an earlier episode when John and I were talking that I mentioned how Toby, I think it was a 17 people episode. I mentioned how Toby, uh, does kind of admonish himself a little bit for the way he reacted to getting the news from Bartlett. Um, and we're going to see that here in just a, a little bit in the episode. On the other hand, um, Sam here is saying something that Toby was saying exactly in 17 people, you know, responsibility to the Democratic Party. And Toby, who knows about the breadcrumbs that Hoynes has been leaving behind, he brings up the point that, you know, if Hoynes will support the president or not, I mean, would Hoynes be cooperative enough to wait, even if Bartlett said he did want to run again? That's a big question to ask at this point as well. And the tobacco lawsuit stuff that gets quite a bit of prominence in this episode, you all, you almost feel like it was Sorkin's last chance to really maybe kind of pontificate about an issue or something before the finale, as opposed to kind of the season one finale where it was all about issues until the big surprise of the shooting at the end. But it's interesting to hear the arguments on the issue from these guys. Obviously, the Justice Department official in the last episode feels very strongly about the fraud. Whereas here, two people who have served in the justice system feel it's really not fraud, so to speak. Um, I had to cut Josh's last line out about the fact that kids are being targeted for time. But the fact that the conversation ends there where Josh said, you know, the thing about the kids kind of, I think, was Sorkin's way of weighing the argument back in the White House's favor, um, I would think. And I don't really have a whole much to say about the Situation Room stuff, except that, of course, Nancy McNally is there and she's getting business done. And I just love that character. Um, it's tough to uh, see this White House going through yet another international crisis at the same time that they're dealing with all of this. Um, but I suspect that, you know, whatever political turmoil is going on domestically uh, has to take a back seat to, uh, of course, an international situation like this. Um, and the trying to juggle it all has to just be maddening for this staff right now. And you also have CJ trying to negotiate with NBC for the interview that was a nice shout out to the press negotiating with the white house. I, I do like the fact that she stood her ground, but I wonder that if she wasn't friends with this executive, um, would he have basically bowed down to it so easily? Would he have been more aggressive with his negotiations than he was? 
and his concern for her was was very telling of the stress that's on all of the staff. And like I said, I wish John was here to offer his own thoughts about some of these clips, but we just couldn't get the internet connection back together, so I just had to pick up this recording because of the way our schedules are. I have to just move on um, and get this episode recorded before I go on tour again. So uh, clip three is where we'll go to next, and that's where Sam goes over the interview with the First Lady. Uh, Dolores schools Charlie about government employee ethics, and Haiti causes even more tension. Finally, the White House counsel Oliver Babish explains to the First Lady why she can't be part of the interview. So I'd like to go through the story, get a sense of what you're going to say. Run it by Oliver Babish and spend the next couple of days going over it with you. That sounds fun, Sam, but, you know, I'm kind of seeing someone right now. I mean, yeah. It's not serious, but it could be. You know what I'm saying? Ma'am. Ten years ago, he began experiencing fatigue and signs of paraparesis of the anterior femoral muscles. In layman's terms? He had a tingling pain in his thigh. And those symptoms subsided? Yes. And two years later? My husband experienced neuropathy and presented symptoms of optic neuritis with partial unilateral nerve paresis. Mrs. Bartlett. Dr. Bartlett. Yes, ma'am. Somebody's doing this with the president, and I was asking why we're not doing it at the same time. Is it so you can compare our stories? Yes. Look. Section 2635 of the guidelines laid out in ethical conduct for employees of the executive branch Final regulations issued by the U.S. Office of Government Ethics, Section 2635, wherein White House employees are specifically enjoined from receiving or soliciting gifts over $20 in value. They want to give me a $19 discount on my car. I'll take it. Sir, they weren't all in one place. We shot three men. That's what you do. We what? A foreign hostile puts his foot on an American military plane. That's an attack. And rules of engagement give us every right to repel. And I'm sure these guys had their handbooks with them. These guys were there to keep the plane on the ground. The plane is up in the air? Yes, sir. What's happening on the ground? We're communicating through diplomatic back channels. Who are we using? The Canadian ambassador, Dominican intelligence. And what does Bazan want? Desaline. On what charge? That as Treasury Minister, he embezzled $18 million earmarked for humanitarian aid. I'm sold. Pat's a family lawyer. I want you to get someone for this. I'll give you eight names. You, Pat, and the president whittle it down to three. I'll pick the one. Can we do this after the broadcast Wednesday night? No. I want you to do it right away because I don't think you should do the broadcast Wednesday night. Why? Because I don't think you should answer questions without a lawyer. Sam said they're not going to get into issues of legality. I don't know how they're going to avoid it. Oliver. Herman Vikram was the original specialist, right? Yeah. It was Vikram who put him on prednisone. Yeah. Then almost four years ago, you... Put them on interferon beta 1b. Yeah. Beta seron. Yeah. You did it, not Vikram. It was in consultation with Vikram. But Vikram didn't write the prescription. I thought under the circumstances it would be wrong to involve another doctor. You wrote these prescriptions to yourself and then had them filled where? At the Dunwich Women's Health Clinic. And then had them shipped to various locations? It was a campaign. One location was Phoenix. Probably. Another was St. Louis. Yeah. You violated the medical ethics rules of three state boards. New Hampshire, Arizona, and Missouri. They were extraordinary circumstances, Oliver. I gave my husband excellent medical care. And I'll line up tenured professors who'll say so. Did you keep medical records? No. 
The AMA's code of ethics pretty well spells out the egregiousness of treating your own family members. We do it anyway. We write prescriptions for migraines, antibiotics. Can I ask you, as the president's physician, have you ever asked him if he's ever had any extramarital affairs? No. Isn't that a crucial question in the diagnosing of autoimmune diseases? I'd like to be next to my husband when he does this. I'd like you to get your own lawyer. Is there anything else? No. Thank you, Dr. Bartlett. So for me, the big thing in this clip is is seeing Abby, both to Sam and Oliver, as a potential liability to herself. Even if she's not a liability for the president, so to speak, she she could potentially lose her medical license for violations. And it does point to more and more of a cover-up by looking at it like that than just the facts themselves that Abby, you know, of course, has presented to Oliver many times. And I, I really feel bad for Abby because you get the real distinct impression from her earlier conversations with the president that she never really wanted him to run in the first place and insisted that this only be one term. So all of these violations, maybe saving the the changing of the prescriptions, um, they were really due to a situation that she kind of opposed in the first place. And it really speaks volumes of the love that she has for her husband. And, And probably also given the potential sacrifices she might have to make, as a result of all of this, it, it points a lot to why she has a right to be angry about the situation to me. And her instance on, on crediting herself as a doctor and then being treated as such by Oliver, um, that was some great drama there for me. I, I love that Oliver, again, every time he, he just, you know, he has an answer for everything. And... Uh, It's just uh, scary how smart this guy is. And really because the tensions are so high, I guess, internally, um, this bit about the tarmac in Haiti, it really sets both Leo and the president off in in a, a pretty heated debate. There was an intensity there that I think really added up to the mounting tension about the announcement that was both played really well in the acting and implied in the writing itself as well. But it's like, you know, here comes this impending announcement that they have to do. They've got terrible poll numbers and everything. And now um, this is a very heated situation in Haiti that uh, there there are good arguments as to what to do or what not to do uh, coming from all sides. And, and it's that paperweight that finally breaks the desk because there's so many books stacked on top of it, and these guys really go at it for a second. Um, I thought that that tension was fabulous. And I think that this is the only clip that I had of Dolores in the main part, other than what we put up front. And that's because I I did want to do that big tribute to her up front. But the way she sticks to her guns about the regulations here is great. And obviously this is the point where Charlie would then go and tell the president about it. And uh, we get his Bob Cratchit thing that we heard up in the beginning. And I guess that's all I have for this particular clip. So let's move on to clip four where Donna lets Josh know that she knows. CJ gives a briefing on Haiti. All of the senior staff come to Leo with concern about whether the president will run again and talk about the tobacco legislation as well. I didn't see you there. 
haven't seen you all day. I've been with, uh, you know, tobacco. You need this? Yeah. Josh, the president wants you at a meeting tonight in the residence around 9 o'clock. I'll tell you what that is. That's the Blue Ribbon Commission on Reform. Let me tell you, I'm going to be collecting benefits or, you know, not by the time we get this Blue Ribbon thing up. Josh. Yeah? Um, I'm trying to... See, this is why I'll never have a career as a... Donald what? Sagittarius. You all right? Yeah. There's an empty office next to the conference room downstairs. I moved two couches in, and there's some pillows and blankets. CJ putting the lid on? Right now. And Leo's ready for you now. The OAS has agreed to meet in an emergency session tomorrow morning, but we're still waiting for confirmation. Can you tell us exactly what you're going to say to them? Yes, but first we're going to say it to them. CJ, one more question on the Haitian casualties. Sorry, Mark, we've run out of time, but we'll pick it up with our lightning round tomorrow. I'm calling a full lid. Any developments throughout the night, and you'll be paged. Thank you for your patience, everybody. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you. Ready for you. What we're talking about. We're firming up strategy on what will define the future of this presidency. And we don't know if this president is interested in the future. We have to have a discussion and we have to have it tonight. We're having a discussion. When? Tonight. Okay, then. Good evening. Good evening, Josh. Leo, would you excuse us for a second, Toby? Can I talk to you outside? Told Donna. Yeah, why don't you let me? Yeah, and yet. How'd she take it? Everybody out there takes it the way she did, we may be okay. If a few more people in here took it the way she did, that'd be all right too. Is that for me? That was for me. Tobacco. Callback's not gonna let it come to a vote in the subcommittee, which at the moment is fine, because if he did, it'd be 8-7 against. Party lunch? No. We have Stacy and Minor, but Warren and Rossett are voting against. They have ideological problems with the case. What do you want to do now? Stick some dynamite up Warren and Rossiter's ass. Yeah, the problem is Rossiter sits on the Judiciary Committee, and I don't know how many enemies on Judiciary we want to make right now. Both of you, listen. We're not going to stop. Soften, detour, postpone, circumvent obfuscate or trade a single one of our goals to allow for whatever extracurricular nonsense is coming our way in the next few days, weeks, and months. When did we decide this? Just now. Light them up. You got a recommendation for me? 30 minutes, Wednesday night, live. Live to tape? Live. The mural room? Yeah, they pick the interviewer. It's carried on all the networks and CNN. I give it to them 10 hours before. And that's followed by a press conference. There isn't another step we can take until we know what the president's intentions are. We need a discussion. And I hate to sound shrill, but it can't wait another night. We're having a discussion. When? Tonight. Really? Yeah. That's great. Good evening. Sam, what do you know? I know that fluid accumulating in the semicircular canals of the vestibulocochlear nerve is usually what will account for dizziness. Leo, I want to state right here, right now, in terms so plain and clear as to command their We're having a meeting tonight. The whole country is going to assume he's not running when he announces the thing. We're having the a meeting. The press is going to assume... We're having a meeting. Really? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. First of all, you just have to love that Donna had already anticipated exactly what Josh would need in terms of a place to sleep and all of this other stuff. 
Um, but the thing that really got me was how awkward Josh was when he was trying to hide it from her before she told him that she knew. And as I mentioned before, uh, when Josh and Toby kind of have an exchange of words about Donna, um, Toby probably through his talk with Donna has come to realize that he might not have handled everything very well with the president when he got the news. So Josh, you know, asks Toby what's, you know, how did she take it? And he said, you know, if she took it as well, or if everybody took it as well as, as she did, we might be all right. And the thing Josh asks is, was that for me? And of course, Toby says, no, that was for me, which is the kind of the little bit of admission that he did not react well, um, that John and I talked about in an earlier episode. But the thing that really struck me was, since Josh thought it might have been directed at Josh himself, I would have loved to have seen the scene maybe where Josh was told the news. I mean, the only person that we get really seeing being told the news is Toby. Everybody else, we just get them after the fact, more or less. Uh, and maybe Josh would have just been a rerun of what Toby did in a way. But the fact that he asks if that comment was about him tends to make me think that maybe he didn't react so well himself. I um, would have loved to have seen that, though, uh, because uh, Josh, being as nutty and ballistic as he can be sometimes, uh, that might have been fun uh, to see his reaction. But again, it probably would have just been a repetition of uh, what Toby did. So that's obviously why they didn't do it with any of the rest of the staff. There's no need to just do the same thing over and over and over again, even though that uh, would be interesting to see the different reactions of everybody. And. There is a little bit of subtle humor in here with everyone coming to Leo and asking whether the president will run or not. Um, but the thing that really stuck out to me about that was that, you know, with all this stuff about Haiti or tobacco coming up, um, Leo finally has decided to put his foot down and more or less re-embrace the ideas that they had started at the end of last season, the whole let Bartlett be Bartlett thing. It's like, we're not going to let this handcuff us uh, from doing the job that we need to do. Um, and it almost feels like that for the last few episodes, as the reveals have been coming in, their hands have been handcuffed a lot. And it, it's a lot of it has been self-imposed. And Leo just comes to this, this kind of decision right now, according to him. Um, so it's clear that he had even lost the bigger picture goal himself and it's good to see him re-embrace that it adds just a little bit of hope to uh an otherwise very dark episode and a little bit of hope right before we get the terrible news about dolores which brings me to clip five where leo and josh strategize getting the tobacco fight going again and then charlie has to tell leo the tragic news about dolores why doesn't everybody grab something to eat, be back at nine, and you'll get called to come over to the residence. Josh, walk out with me. I mean it. Set one off under these guys. How about I have CJ make a statement at her briefing? A strong statement. The president calls on Congress 
to fund the Justice Department tobacco's lawsuit at the levels necessary to continue this litigation. The American people deserve their day in court. And this administration won't sit on the bench while well-fed members of the Appropriations Committee choke off funding for a lawsuit aimed at the perpetrators of hundreds of thousands of negligent homicides while filling their campaign war chests. Light them up. Charlie? Leo, there was an accident at 18th and Potomac. Mrs. Landingham was driving her car back here. What happened? There was a drunk driver, and they ran the light at 18th and Potomac. They ran it at a high speed. Charlie's sure, right? No. She's dead. There goes that last little bit of hope from the last clip kind of carried through here for a moment with Josh, you know, throwing his fire at big tobacco. But the news about Dolores just leaves you completely stunned. Um, it's like, okay, maybe the president will decide to run again is what we're thinking. Maybe he can survive this. And then when Dolores happens, it's like, wait, no, he's just not going to run. I mean, why even bother? anymore he he just the, the look on his face um as he's being told by leo you don't hear the dialogue but you see through the window um that was just uh amazing um that that shot of leo telling bartlett it was a magnificent piece of direction to me and because there was the glass was a little blurry or dirty i don't know which but it, it made it even more emotionally imp impactful since obviously you know it's implied that the focus going out of everything is happening um you know leo had just regained a little bit of focus and now uh with the out of focus shot it just subliminally tells you that nothing is in focus now and i don't guess we really have anything else to say about it the way charlie was just kind of stunned and had to give the news to Leo. Um, that was really scary. I, I wish uh, we could have just ended it on Josh and Leo talking about big tobacco and deal with just the MS thing. But no, it had to be one more, like I said, paperweight on top of the desk uh, that makes the desk crack and, and fall, more or less. It's just uh, horrifically sad and um, there's just no hope by the end of this episode. It's really, really scary. And that will bring me to my rating. And as you've heard me say on many a podcast before, I, I just love Dolores with all my heart. And I was so shocked on a first watch. I was absolutely gutted 
when I found out that Dolores had been killed in this car accident. And I actually still get a twinge of that same emotional impact even when I watch this episode these days. In fact, I try not to watch this episode too often uh, because it just hurts so bad. But on the whole, I have to say that this episode is just so dark and gloomy. And that last little bit of hope that you get towards the end, you don't even really remember uh, because of that final rug pull. So because I love Dolores herself, it, it, it does save the episode for me a little bit and, and brings, I'm going to add an extra point five just because of the Dolores. Um, but I, I don't think I would have been above an 8.3 on this episode for myself just because it, it is destroys me. Now that doesn't mean it's not a good episode. It's very powerful. Um, and I'm going up to an 8.8 because of the extra 0.5 Dolores bump. Um, it's a very strong episode, but it's just so depressing. Um, and John and I talked about this in the last one, even in the fall's going to kill you, how things just keep mounting up and it almost makes you not want to watch. Um, and, and I know the idea is Sorkin loves to have be over dramatic with things. And so, you know, the idea is how are they going to get out of this? Um, but at this point with Dolores, I was just like, why would they even want to get out of this? It was very, very depressing for me. So 8.8 for this. And folks, you really only have about a week and a half left to submit me some feedback in regards to season two of the West Wing, because next week is the finale, season two, episode 22, Two Cathedrals. And if you do have any thoughts about season two of the West Wing, feel free to send an email to sorkincast at gmail.com, or you can call 314-669-1840, or you can tweet at sorkincast on Twitter with any of your thoughts. Also include your season two West Wing awards your favorite and least favorite episode, your favorite and least favorite scene, your favorite and least favorite guest star, and your favorite and least favorite main character of season two. And we'll include all of that in the feedback podcast that comes out the Sunday after the deadline. Once again, you have until July 12th, 2016 to get everything into me. And that's going to do it for this time of the Sorkin cast. We'll see you next time when we look at the season two finale. Again, two cathedrals. And then we will have the feedback podcast. And then we will be getting into season one of the newsroom after that. So thanks for listening and take care. Find all of the back episodes, links, and more information at sorkincast.wordpress.com. Leave the podcast a written review at our iTunes or Stitcher store pages. To submit feedback, send emails to sorkincast at gmail.com or call 314-669-1840. The Sorkincast is a member of the Rewatching Good TV Network.